The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I am the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer for the podcast. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. That way, when people are looking for help, when they're addicted or when someone they know is addicted, they'll find us. Google will bring us up. Also, if you could check out our YouTube channel and please subscribe and ring the bell so you get notified when we have a new video. And once again, give our videos a thumbs up again so that people will find us when they need help. Today's episode is episode number 309. And today we are interviewing a gentleman named Ryan Phillips. Ryan grew up with a great childhood and a close-knit family. All he focused on was becoming a successful hockey star, which his parents fully supported. He left home at the age of 16 to play professional hockey. At the height of Ryan's fame and game prowess when he was arrested for importing a large amount of marijuana into the United States over the Canadian border. He was incarcerated and detained and then prohibited from re-entering for life by Homeland Security. In 2012, he was granted access as a humanitarian back to the USA. He started to really focus on doing good in the world. And that's where our interview brings us today. So let's talk to Ryan Phillips. Ryan Phillips, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and being willing to share your story with what you told us before we went live here. We've got some interesting things to talk about today. Absolutely. It's my absolute pleasure. And uh, it's, it's very nice to meet you. Like I said, I'm, I'm an open book. And if we can help uh, just one person, hopefully more, then that's our goal here. So, uh, you know, fire away, just not too hard because <laughs> I don't have my hockey helmet on. It's okay. I'm I'm a very easygoing interviewer. I never ask, when did you stop beating your wife? I'm not one of those types of interviewers. Well, that so, would that would that would uh, uh, taint my reputation uh, for being an advocate for child sex slavery. So. <laughs> okay, so um, so take us back to your childhood. I know you were a professional athlete at a very young age. Tell us a little bit about that, and then how you got into drugs. Well, I was basically born with a hockey stick in my hands. Uh, that was, I was, uh, you know, I, I will say, um, you know, I was very gifted in many sports, but hockey was my go-to that was, you know, in Canada, that's kind of, uh, you know, it's our, it's our lacrosse is, is our national sport, but hockey is, you know, obviously all eyes and almost every kid's dream is to play the national hockey league. So, hmm. you know, from the time that I, I remember watching hockey night in Canada, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, um, who were my idols, you know, those, uh, that's just basically my dad, you know, my dad was a great hockey player too. And, you know, that's all I ever wanted was to be a, a, a hockey player. So, um, it was pretty tough for mom to get the, the stick out of the hands. Uh, <laughs> Vancouver is not that cold, but uh, when it was cold enough, we had an outdoor rink in the backyard. Um, you know, I was just, it's all I ever wanted to do was to play hockey. And um, at 16, I left home to pursue my dream. I had just turned 16. And, um, you know, before then, I was the guy that, 
never smoked, never drank. You know, uh, if, if anyone was ever to say that Ryan Phillips was going to be addicted to anything other than hockey and sports and laughing his balls off, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, I always just had a, kind of a, you know, one of those personalities where I like to make people laugh. And, um, you know, they would have thought that it was just insanity. And, um, you know, the culture of hockey really is, it's, it's very glamorized on the outside. But what people don't see is the inner confines of that game, which, you know, a lot of it has come to the surface over the past few years, even more um, with the abuse, uh, you know, not just sexual abuse, verbal abuse, you name it. And, you know, as a rookie, um, when you're first year in the league, um, you know, I was playing in the top Canadian Junior Hockey League uh, in, you know, in the world, basically. It's there's three three leagues, uh, Ontario, Quebec and the Western Hockey League. And so I, me being out west, I was, you know, playing in that top league and being the youngest player on it, uh, you know, just turning turn 16 and um you know, the majority of the players were all 18, 19, and, and 20. And okay. so the brunt of the jokes, the hazing, being urinated on, mm. uh, the abuse mentally, physically, emotionally really took its toll. And just trying to fit in. So to, to fit in, you know, um, you know, alcohol was is a huge part of the hockey culture. And, you know, the next thing I know, I found out that, you know, I wasn't a good drinker in the beginning, but I became very good, very fast. And, uh, you know, uh, I believe everything is, is divinely orchestrated. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, I, that, that first year away from home was very difficult, but, um, the injuries what got me the most i i was i sustained a, a really really bad concussion um a few of them actually but you know the 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 education back then with concussions weren't where they are now right and you know really i should have came home right away you know mm. uh, you know it was but you know back then it was you know i didn't want to let myself down but you know my parents the community I, yeah, that I came suck from. it up and keep playing there. Suck it up and keep, you know? play, keep yeah. playing. I was, you know, one of the top prospects in Canada. Yep. And so it was basically, you know, self-will, just, yep. you know, just trying to go, go, go. And then at the same time, being out of the lineup, trying to fit in and sex, drugs and rock and roll is behind the scenes. That's what it is. Yep. And, um, you know, I just, I, that extreme addictive personality I had no idea that, you know, that alcohol would be such a, a huge component and become such a big part of my life. And I used the alcohol basically to self-medicate the injuries and then a lot of the emotional stuff that was going on at the same time. Yeah. I was going to say, were you on any kind of painkillers with the concussions and stuff or? Oh God, there was, I mean, you walk into the dressing room, you could get whatever you wanted. Mm. There was, you know, oxys, there was Vicodins, there's Percocets, there's, you know, whatever you want, you get, if you were hurt, they'd shoot you up and get you back on the ice, you know, back, it was... Was, we heard the same thing from pro footballers in the U.S., exact same thing. There was a safe. You could get whatever drugs you wanted. And the whole point was if you didn't go out and play, there was a whole line of people that wanted to go and take your position. So you had to literally suck it up and play no matter what. Absolutely. Same and, idea. 
my dad was like, he never stay down, you know, yeah. so it was, you know, get right back up and keep going. And, you know, so I, I'd see the stars and get nailed, but I'd be right back up and yep. keep trying to go at it. But, wow. you know, after that first concussion, um, I didn't know what was going on, but something shifted in my brain and, you know, I wasn't able to ever really see the puck, right? I was, you know, I, there was like, my skill set was very high. And I, I wasn't able to, and I was getting yelled at and, and, you know, I, the puck would go into the right corner and sometimes I would think it was going into the left corner. I, I, everything changed Interesting. from that, from that first hit. It was a very traumatic blow. Yeah. So and, you had like some kind of damage to whatever optic nerves there. It sounds like. Well, what happened was I got nailed on the crown of my head and at the same time, uh, I broke my shoulder in three places. Oh, I dislocated right. it at the same time. Oh, God. So, um, but you know, that's the thing. You know, I I didn't even know what depression was. I didn't know what anxiety was at that time. You know, you're young yeah. and you're very resilient at that time too. And so it, it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, um, I'm not playing now. Right. Uh, I'm sitting in the stands. And I'm watching my peers get ahead and whatnot. And it was like going down the rabbit hole. And, you know, it was, it was basically that's when, you know, drinking became a huge theme in my life. Yeah. Came home after that summer. And, you know, that identity of now it's like Ryan, the hockey player, you know, yeah. like I believe we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. Yep. We're not what we do. We do. We're not our name, whatever, you know, we can yep. go down the spiritual whole thing. But, yep. um, you know, I took on an identity and I changed, you know, I, I, I was just, I, I wasn't myself anymore. Um, you know, you get that big thing called an ego. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, um, fentanyl is the single deadliest drug threat our nation has ever encountered. And fentanyl is everywhere from large metropolitan areas to rural America. No community is safe from this poison. Steered Straight, a nonprofit drug education group based in Tennessee, is on a mission to educate students, teachers, parents and communities on the dangers of fentanyl through their free fentanyl fake and fatal online course. This course was created for middle and high school students, as well as teachers and parents. You can find it at www.courses.steeredstraight.org. We must take every opportunity to spread the word to prevent fentanyl-related overdose deaths and poisonings from claiming scores of American lives every day. Once again, that's www.courses.steeredstraight.org for a free course on fentanyl. In his 10 years as a top draft pick and starting center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Randy Grimes had to play through pain or lose his job. This led to an opioid addiction, and eventually he lost nearly everything. But Randy beat the addiction then founded Pro Athletes in Recovery, and now details his story in his riveting book, Off Center, a memoir of addiction, recovery, and redemption in professional football, with the foreword by iconic player and coach Mike Ditka.
We know Randy's story and highly recommend Off Center. It will inspire you to create your own comeback. Available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold. You know, five years of really trying to slug it out. And uh, that's what I was going to ask you. How long did you actually play professional hockey? So it was five years. Well, that was junior. You know, junior. I, you know, so junior. So you didn't even make it up to the seniors. Wow. I did. No, I did. I played professional oh. for, uh, you know, close to, uh, parts of five years uh, okay. professional. And those were years that, you know, I, I didn't get drafted because of my injuries. Right. Concussions were a huge theme in my, in, in my, in my hockey journey. Right. And concussions, drinking, drugging, and everything else that goes along with it. And, you know, I kind of got what you say, blackballed as that party guy. And, you know, like I said, my, my dream turned into a nightmare. Yeah. And uh, I just, I saw, I stopped caring. I stopped caring about, about anything really. And it was at the age of 20 um, where the BC bud boom had hit. And uh, there was a huge demand down in the United States of America. It was very accept. Marijuana was very accepted in our province Okay, uh, as part of our culture. What is BC bud boom? What does that mean? Well, BC marijuana. So bud is the, the flower of the marijuana. Okay. Okay. And, um, it was just, it was one of those things where I had all these contacts down in the United States where it was illegal and frowned upon, but the demand from, we, we had at the time, you know, in North America, the best marijuana in North America came from British Columbia, Canada. Ah. And next thing you know, um, trade routes, hikes through mountains, bushwhacks, kayaks, zodiacs, uh, planes, rigs. Uh, I mean, you name it. Wow. I was finding a way to get it across. And, you know, what started off with me going through the board. I mean, you can watch this on National Geographic. Okay. Uh, my lifestyle. I'll, I'll actually send you a link where you can share with your uh, with your viewers. Perfect. And you know, it started off really small, and it's like that. You know, I've, I've mentioned it many times before: the disease of more. And mm. you know, I couldn't supply the demand. Next thing you know, I'm involved with you know with I'm leading the charge of gangs. This gang, that gang, this gang, and. Um, it became very, very toxic yet at the same time fueled on adrenaline, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars are coming in hundreds of pounds turns into, you know, hundred five pounds turns into 10 turns into 20 turns into 50 turns into a hundred turns into 500. Next thing you know, you're doing a thousand a month with all these different trade routes and, um, you know, many mouths to feed along the way, a very dangerous, dangerous business yeah. started off all fine and fluffy. And, um, you know, then I found myself at age 23, I'm like, I'm making way more money selling weed down in the States. I never sold marijuana in Canada ever. Okay. And it, it, everything went down South. Okay. And, um, I was like, I don't need to play hockey anymore. I got a, a this last thing I need to do. I'm, I'm making more money than any NHL hockey player sh shipping weed across the border. And, you know, I got to the point where I wasn't doing it myself. I was orchestrating everything from, you know, fully encrypted Blackberries in Costa Rica. I had a, a ch chartered accountant running the books and everything. I mean, I ran it like a Fortune 500 business. That's wow. how I ran it. Wow. And, um, you know, but none of that ever made me truly happy. 
the, the substance abuse went through the roof, mm. you know, um, and, and especially when I, I got to the point where the money was so big and I didn't have to be in Vancouver, I was traveling the world and jet setting and partying like a rock star with, you know, celebrities and this mm. and that. And, you know, but nothing was ever really f- filling me up with true joy or happiness, you know, no $10,000 stack or hockey bag or duffel bag full of money could ever really fill the cup of happiness. Yeah. What drugs and were you doing? What were, what was your drug Every drug known to man oh, for okay. mistakes. I mean, you name okay. it, MDMA, uh, cocaine. I never had to pay for it. It was right. always right there. It was the, you know, that fast lane lifestyle. It, everything was on a platter, literally. <laughs> so, you know, when you're going to the, you know, the fancy dancy mansion parties and you're living that lifestyle, it's just all right there for the taking. And, um, you know, up for days on end, the party never, it just never stopped. It just kept going and going and going, you know, the biggest parties in the world. Oh, Ibiza. Okay. We're fine. Ibiza. All right. Cancun spring break. Okay. We're going to Cancun, Cancun spring break. It was just, I take it you weren't married at the time. I wasn't married, okay. uh, but I did have, uh, I had, a, you know, I had some girlfriends at the time, you know, okay. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't always the most faithful guy in the world and, you know, it was kind of a sign of the times and young, dumb and, uh, children. Uh, I have a daughter. uh, She's now 23 and she's overcome a lot of her own adversities. Um, she's two years clean now off of methamphetamines with, uh, I have a granddaughter and she lives down in the States. I, I met her my first year of professional hockey. Um, I actually, I was 20. Uh, I left uh, halfway through my my junior year. I was putting up some pretty good numbers, and I was good enough to turn pro. And I met her mom, and um, at twenty three, um, had a little baby girl. Okay. And then my luck ran short uh, with the whole marijuana thing. Um, it, it was you know we're, mother and I were you know really conflicted with like okay, well, hockey's not paying the bills here, but you're making so much money doing the, doing the marijuana thing. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to do it for one year. Mm. I'm just, I'll do it for one year, I'll make as much money as I possibly can and then shut her down, quit it. Okay. And Famous so, last words. Oh yeah. So we made that, <laughs> we made that deal. And um, actually a, a close friend at the time who I grew up playing hockey with um he was wondering how I was making all this, this cash and why, how I was driving this car and living this lifestyle and whatnot. And I brought him into the circle as one of our drivers and he actually ripped me off. Um, myself and my partner had no idea, um, for God, about 300, $250,000, $300,000 Canadian wow. dollars worth of yeah. marijuana, about $400,000 American worth wow. of marijuana. I was scared at that time. That was the first time. Now I'm like, okay, well, this isn't just fun and games. This is, this is, this is organized crime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was kidding myself before that thinking this was just like kind of a fun thing to do. Hobby. And, <laughs> you know, it's just a little bit of marijuana going across yeah. the border and we're cashing in and having a blast. Right. Yep. And, um, at that time we were getting our, uh, our, our shipments. It was the summertime, uh, through a, a major bushwhack through the mountains, uh, in Glacier National State Park. 
And it was a full operation that was going on where hikers would be, four hikers would have 25 pounds of weed in each knapsack. Um, and it would get picked up on the other side, sent down to one. I had about four contacts in Seattle at the time. He would be, he, so our, my driver at the time, he ripped me off and I got scared out of my wits. And I decided to take it upon my own shoulders and do the hike so because so nothing bad would happen and i wouldn't take another hit another loss okay and i lost my freedom and went to prison for almost two years wow you are listening to the addiction podcast point of no return for more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us go to our facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one hour consultation with Bobby. And down in the United States, I was so told you, that- So you got I would, caught. I got caught. I got had my face rammed down on, and plastered on the side of the highway with okay. guns drawn to my head. Okay. And it, it, my life flashed right before me, right yeah. there. Um, you know, uh, and you were, I'm sorry, I cut you off, but you were in the U.S. at the time or you were in I Canada? I was in the U.S. You're in the at, U at oh, that okay. time. So I crossed the border illegally with uh, a conspiracy to import 100 pounds of high-grade marijuana. Okay. And uh, next thing I know, the legal process went through and uh, went through and um, there was five of us in on that conspiracy. And I had no idea that it was him that actually did the ripoff and he actually set us up as well. Uh, at the airport, they, they 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 got him getting a rental car to come and pick us up on that other side of the border. Uh, and, and this uh, was your quote unquote best friend. Yeah, one of my best friends mm. at the same time. So, yeah. Uh, okay. yeah, and I found out actually the day I got out of prison that it was him that did that. And okay. he took off somewhere. I saw him years later and I did forgive him. Um, but, you know, prison was probably one of the best things that ever could have happened to me. Um, How so? Well, that whole year leading up to prison, I was using and abusing MDMA, cocaine. I, I, I probably maybe took five days off of drinking and drugging during that whole year. Okay. Um, as um, my daughter's uh, mother and I had actually broken up. Okay. Our deal kind of went sour. She saw what was going on and it was kind of dangerous in her mind, obviously. She didn't want my daughter around it. Right. And I kept going. And um, so when I went into prison, you know, I got sober in prison for the first time. 
got, and my, my mind felt very clear. But at the same time, it is uh, like a college for criminals, so to speak. Mm. And um, I had high aspirations of coming out and doing other things. Uh, I was actually going to think about getting into acting. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, hockey's done, so maybe, uh, maybe I'll get into acting or something like that. I was, you know, I, I've always been quite creative, and uh, you know, um, I like to write and all kinds of stuff like that. I, I wrote a lot when I was in prison as well, but when I got out, you know, the same guys were there, uh, and it was right back into the old antics, and that lasted for about another uh, four or five years after I got out and it just got absolutely massive. And, um, you know, it, it was one of those things where it, it just, it was a machine, a, a nonstop cash generating machine that just couldn't be stopped. And then I, I just hit such a low point. I, uh, you know, do you end up back in prison? Do they no, no? I didn't actually. Okay. No, no, but at that point, it, uh, the business, it, it ran itself. Uh, I was basically, you know, I just, I had all the connections and new connections from prison and whatnot. And um, it so literally what, self. I was going to say, what made you want to stop? I mean, well, why did you stop? I was living in a big mansion up in the very, uh, in the nice, nicey, nicey place in Vancouver. And I had this big party. Uh, there was probably about 400 people at that party one night and I, I'd been up for days. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't even breathe out my nose. I think I put so much cocaine in my nose and I had mirrored ceilings on my roof. And I remember looking up at the, the mirrored ceilings and, and I just could not look at myself. I broke down. I, I remember being in the shower trying to get this stuff out of my nose. And I was, I, I literally, I lost it. And I was like, I just, I cannot do this anymore. I'm done. And um, getting out was the hardest part because I, you know, I had a very large crew, uh, you know, around me and I was, you know, kind of the leader of the leader of the pack. And, you know, people Here's my were, two weeks notice. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. with that, you know, was, there was a price, you know, yeah. um, yeah. You know, I, I got out. Yeah, I had lots of cleaned money through properties and this and that, and whatever. And um, but they were like, you know, you're with us now. But if we find out that you do it again, we will kill you. Next wow. thing you know, there hits on my head, extortions, and it wasn't wow. the first time. I mean, there was there was a lot of really, uh, you know, a gang war broke out in Canada and. 2008 so there's you know threats on my life then wow. so it's just enough was enough yeah 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 and um i literally you know i i left everything behind in vancouver uh, i moved to montreal uh playa del carmen mexico and i just i was basically kind of just running from my past and wow. um, were you were you clean and sober were you at the time i was yeah i've actually been in recovery uh since i was 27 i'm 47 now okay so 20 years wow for 20 years yeah Yeah. and so um i've had about four or five slips along the way okay and uh i've i'll be coming up uh this july 8th will be seven years without a a sip of alcohol well done Um, it's completely done. I haven't even had the slightest itch of mm-hmm. having a drink, okay. not even the slightest itch of t- having a drink. 
but a, a, but something that has been a theme in my life um when I, I was actually going through tremendous anxiety um about 10 years ago okay and uh, my brain was starting to feel a little bit off and i didn't know what it was i was like something's going on with my brain and i didn't know if it was just anxiety and uh, a lot of fear from that you know that business and a lot of yeah. ptsd put trauma <laughs> From, uh, you I know, would say, I mean, I'm, I'm. It's well-founded fear. Okay, you were in a very dangerous business, and you know, you, yeah. It's and I'm a of, sensitive guy. I never yeah. shot a gun before. I've never put a hit on anybody's head. I, I've, uh, look, I, I haven't always been honest because I wasn't living an honest life. Right. And you know, I was going to AA and had years sobriety, and I was still running that business. You know, and I, I'd be sitting in an, in an AA room with a BlackBerry. And, you know, how, how can I be, you know, getting honest and sober when I'm, you know, running an illegal business, yeah. you know, across borders, really. Understood. And so, I, you know, I was feeling a lot of shame and guilt and, um, you know, but I'll get to the back to the point here. About 10 years ago, um, I was not feeling right. And I went to a psychiatrist because I was just, I was feeling anxious all the time. Like I was coming out of my body, feeling very disassociated and whatnot. And I knew, I didn't really know that much about how post-traumatic stress can actually affect a human being and how complex it can actually be and the complexities that have fed into my own traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was abused when I was, you know, by a dentist years ago that came up, I was abused by a hockey coach, sexually abused at 14. Wow. Um, and so these things started coming up Yeah. and he prescribed me a good old benzodiazepines. Benzos. Yep. And prescribing an addict, you know, those kind of medications, as we well know now, I had no clue. I'm thinking I'm taking a, a, you know, a pill that's going to, you know, help me calm my nerves down and feel okay. And the whole, and in the meantime, I'm going to meetings, um, you know, I'm out of the, 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 the game, the, the the criminal element, so to speak. Um, and for the first, I would say, four years that I was taking these benzodiazepines, and I wasn't taking, I wasn't abusing them completely. It didn't take much. I take one pill, and it would kind of would be like getting a warm hug, pretty much. Right. Um, but right around the four-year mark, I was like, my thinking started slowing down. I was getting a bit of apathy. My creative faculties weren't kind of working like they were. And I literally, you know, like, here's the pill bottle right here. Um, you know, I'm on a taper right now. Right. I, I've come off them before. Um, but I'll get into something really that's very important is that, you know, they just, they stop working. Mm. That's the thing, you know. You need more. Uh, well, it started with Xanax. Okay. And got off the Xanax. And then he prescribed me clonazepam. Okay. And so about... I went across five countries uh, advocating for mental health awareness in 2019, and I'd been off them. I'd been clean off the benzos for almost a year, and um, I started getting these panic attacks and major anxiety going across Canada, especially, 
Um, a lot of the sensitive topics that I was dealing with, um, there was a lot of pressure dealing with like the major media outlets with the CBC, C like all the, you know, the media was on me at the time, you know, it's, um, I would say it's, well, it's the second largest landmass in, in the world, Canada. Yeah. So, and I started getting these anxiety and the panic started really, really like igniting into me. And I was dealing with a lot of parents and, and talks along the way with, you know, people that, uh, parents that had lost their children to suicide, all these mental health issues and whatnot that I, I mean, I, my, my heart was just like breaking as I was doing this very, um, uh, God, it was a hard ride, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was like, I need something to take the edge off. And so I started taking the clomazepam's again. I went to the hospital because I was like, I, 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 I literally, I, I couldn't cope with the anxiety that was going on. And so for the past uh, four years, I've been, it's not like I've been completely abusing the hell out of them, taking 10 a day or whatever. I think the most I've taken, taken in a day, my prescribed, uh, my prescription says I should be taking three of these benzodiazepams a day. Okay. And, um, I've never exceeded four over the last like four years. Um, and in the last year, I have been trying to do my best to taper off these bloody things. Mm -hmm. um, in the last month, I, I think I've taken, you know, I'm down to little chips, like two little chips off a pill. And talk about feeling like, I mean, coming off alcohol for me was easy. That was yeah. So easy. I felt great when I came off alcohol, but coming off these benzos has literally, it's like, I don't know what it's like to come off heroin. I've snorted heroin before. Oh, it's way life. worse. I can tell you because we've talked to people who work with addicts coming off of heroin and you can come off a of heroin completely cold turkey, I mm. think in a week, not much more than a week. Oh, yeah. But when you're talking yeah. benzos, you have to taper. You cannot just stop. You can no. die if you stop. You can die. You can go yeah. into seizures. I know Jordan Peterson, he he has he's had his issues and he's very open and honest about that. Yeah. And I've watched a lot of his videos. Um in the, in the last couple months, you know, I, I I've really educated myself more yeah. on, you know, the severity uh, of how bad these pills are for you. Yeah. I mean, there's natural ways out there yes. that can tackle anxiety, depression, you name yep. it. Yep, and we've had a lady on the podcast who's here in, in Clearwater, and that's exactly what she does. She helps people get off of things like diet. I'd love um, to meet her. Maybe you can introduce me to her. That would be amazing. Absolutely. I will do that because she gets people off of benzos through natural means oh, and God, then has a lot God's of natural thing. remedies for things like anxiety and such. She's got a yeah. ton of them. We will definitely, her name is Pamela Seafeld for okay. anybody watching, because we've got at least two interviews with her and she's here in Clearwater and I will definitely share her contact information. That would be incredible because yeah. the, like, you know what the worst part of it is coming off these things is the insomnia. I'll go two days, no sleep. I'm sweating. Oh. Stuff's coming out of me. And, and then it's like, you feel literally like you're coming out of your, your skin. Yeah. And, um, it's no way to live. No. It, it takes the joy out of life. And, you know, I, like, I love life. I like, I, I want to do so many things with my life still. 
and it, it almost it makes you feel like you, you're just like the apathy that, that that goes along with it and i have a lot of not a lot but i have say three three or three close friends of mine right now um actually one lady was on your show um and you know she's been about a year clean off xanax mm-hmm. um tracy remember tracy yeah yeah, yeah 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 so she, you know we talk and whatnot and you know she's still dealing with the withdrawals a, a year i remember the xanax yeah. yeah i remember her saying that so um so people listening take note these are not drugs to fool around with yeah you know and just because a doctor prescribes them does not mean that they are less dangerous than some street drugs they just aren't 100 percent. and it's funny you know we're uh my uh my partner uh on we're doing a tv series it's called true redemption and it's focusing on healing and the collective trauma in the world right now. You know, Theron Fleury's in the show, Elvis yep. Stoiko. There's uh, Dan uh, uh, Carity, who you had on your show as yep. well, in the yep. show. Um, uh, I sent you a trailer for the uh, to, to give a, a peek on kind of what it is. And I don't know if you watched it yet, but uh, don't share it with anyone because the world's going to okay. see it first. But, okay, uh, okay. No, the, the gist of it is all about healing. And, and yeah. uh, but a big theme uh, is, is intertwining my story that wasn't really told in National Geographic and intertwining it in through the show. And, you know, Benzo's, I bring it up and I talk about it a lot in the show. Yep. Um, and, and one of the hardest parts about filming this show was actually, you know, being on these buddy things yeah. and, um, you know, talking about it. But if I don't talk about it, you know, I'm just, I'm blessed enough where I have the platform where I can actually talk about it before yeah. I was actually quite embarrassed. I was like, well, am I sober? You know, like I haven't had a drink in seven years. And then it starts messing with your psyche a little bit. Yeah. And I'm all about like quality, not quantity. So it's like just for today is really the moment, you know, we're yep. living in eternal now, so to speak. Yep. yep. And, um, you know, my parents don't understand too, you know, I have, you know, I, I'm very close to my folks mm-hmm. and, you know, my mother, God bless her. She's like, well, what, we'll be happy when you get off them. I'm like, I'm down to like this much, you know, and it, like, they don't understand, you know, they're in that era where they don't want, they kind of don't want to understand what they don't want to understand that yep. it's not easy. No, it, and, it, and it's dangerous. And you can tell them that, or they could watch the podcast that it's, it's dangerous to just stop cold Turkey. It can anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had to take some deep breaths. I knew I was coming on today and talk to you guys. And yep. I felt a, a, a huge responsibility to to really open up this dialogue about benzodiazepines yeah. um, because a lot of people, you know, in, in those AA rooms or that that are sober that have twenty years sobriety. You know, my first sponsor, God bless his soul, he's, he he actually took his life. Um, you know, his his nickname was was Miracle, and I won't say his last name. Okay. Or his first name, whatever. But um, I remember he was taking Xanax. I had no idea what the hell they were back then when I first got went into the rooms. And, you know, so it... And the problem with um, anti-anxiety medications is that the side effect is anxiety. Exactly. You know, so that's... that's Crippling you know, anxiety yeah. that's worse than it was before, it, yeah. before, I even, it, before I ever took one of these benzodiazepams. Exactly. I would actually, I would give my left foot 
<laughs> to have that anxiety back yeah. and not yeah. be dealing with the anxiety that I get now. I get it. Yeah. And the sweats and, and, and the dizziness yeah. and, you know, and I also deal with PTSD and the concussion stuff. Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not playing victim here. This is just the truth. No, no, no. I get it. I so, get it. Yeah. Well, you're doing the right thing and tapering off. And yeah. I will um, send you, in fact, I'll put it at the end of this podcast, even though the podcast is you and not Pamela, that maybe <laughs> somebody listening is going through the same thing and they would like to be reminded of how to reach her. So I'll put that in there. And yeah, you know, our, our hope is that you can whittle down to where you can get completely off of it. But I know you're not the only person out there that's dealing with this. And Absolutely. so, you well, know, there was 40 I, million scripts just in the USA alone last year for Xanax, oh, yeah. 40 million scripts. So that's yeah. 40 million people that are taking, you know, benzodiazepines, right. right. you know, and I, I mean, I don't want to say I'm happy about it, but the fact that people like Jordan Peterson and many other people, I mean, you can type into YouTube or whatever, but you know, um, the severity and the ramifications of a benzodiazepam is coming so to the surface globally these days Yep. that, you know, for anybody out there, anybody out there, you really, really want to think very seriously about it. You know, when you're don't always, your, your psychiatrist isn't always right. I mean, and mine, God bless him. He actually apologized to me when we were doing the filming of the TV series, we did a, a, a shoot actually in his office and he said, Ryan, I am so sorry that I prescribed you these pills. You should have never been prescribed these pills because all my anxiety, all that stuff was all PTSD and concussion related. Yeah. And both those can be dealt with in, you know, psychotherapy for PTSD yeah. and for concussions. You know, there's, there, you, you, you can manage it and get it better yeah. with certain modalities and whatnot, um, but never benzodiazepines yeah. and, and even antidepressants. They may work for some people, but they never work for me. I tried yeah. them once and, uh, and they made me sick. Yeah. Well, thank you for shedding the light on benzos. I Absolutely. think that, um, you know, there are going to be people who are listening, who are going to think twice about it and maybe three and four times about it. And I really appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate everything that you have planned and definitely keep us posted. Well, there's with... one other thing I'm going to be doing, actually. What's that? <laughs> you know, I was uh, in, in the last few days here, you know, I've been uh, thinking about I, I really miss going across. See, when I, when I went across Canada, I'd already mm -hmm. done five countries in in uh, Asia, Southeast Asia. Okay. Um, I didn't, I failed to mention that I got a pardon, the first of its kind, uh, as a humanitarian to be allowed back to the United States of America after I crossed Cambodia to help with the eradication of human trafficking and child sex slavery. And ah. I did a, a TED Talks on that as well. Okay. I also did a TED Talks uh, after I uh, went across Canada for mental health as well. Okay. Um, and I really miss, you know, I, I believe so much awareness comes through action. And so I've, I've made the, the definite decision and, you know, with, with the help of other people coming together here, um, it's either a rollerblade or a cycle, bless you, <laughs> um, across the United States of America uh, this summer. So that gives me six months, get off these bloody benzos 
and uh, talk more, shed more light about it, but everything mental health, everything mental health. And I think that the fact that um, I was never allowed back to the States again, but now I am mm-hmm. Canadian going down to the United States of America and advocating for mental health because we are in the biggest mental health crisis that we've ever seen these days. Yep. And, you know, going from, I haven't decided if I want to go East coast to West coast, but uh, I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, my mind is set and um, I, on each leg, I want people to be joining in and sharing their stories and really blow this up to make, you know, everyone feel that, it's okay, you know, they say it's okay yep. to feel not okay, but you know what? We're never alone here. And yep. uh, it's not just about mental health, it's about bringing humanity together. It's, it, it's about peace. I it's love it. Peace and love. I and love at the end of the day, that's 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 what we are. That's the source of what we came from. We come from a source of love. Yep. And I really believe that if we can, you know, expand that love outwards from our heart in any way possible, um, you know, we can uh, make a difference in this world. I think that's huge. And please keep us posted on your ride across the U.S. We definitely well, we want to know about <laughs> it when it happens. Okay. Maybe we can do a couple. Maybe we can do a couple of lives or podcasts when I go across the states, and we can, uh, you know, kind of do something like that. Uh, I would know, love that. I would love that. I think that would be great. Sure, absolutely. And then I'll be off benzos completely. And we can. We will. We will rejoice in that. We will rejoice, oh, you know, and then I'll have to come through Florida and give you a big hug. There you go. I like yeah. it. We are set. <laughs> Ryan, thank you for talking to us today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you being as candid and as honest as you are. And that's huge with our listeners because they don't want to hear, excuse my bad word, they don't want to hear the bullshit. They want to hear, the, hear truth. the bullshit. Yeah. They want to hear the truth. And that's what you gave them. And I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I, you know, for all the millions and billions of people out there that are suffering, there's no, there's no shame whatsoever in saying, I need help. Thank you for listening today. If you have a concern about benzos, if you're on benzos, you're thinking about getting on benzos and you want to reach out to Ryan because he obviously has a very strong opinion about it, you can contact him on Instagram. It's Ryan Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, Ryan Phillips 888 on Instagram. And he is more than willing to talk to you. He's more than willing to give you um, what he knows about benzos. And yeah. He's a a good guy. So thank you for listening. And we'll be back again next week with another interview. So get clean and sober if you need to. If you need our help, you know where to find us. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.